Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. I'm Ethan Diamandis. I'm here with my co-host Mitch Bannon, and we are the dynamic beat writing duo at SI.com. Our written work is available at InsideTheBlueJays.com, where right now we've got some off-season pieces up on the site, including a long-form story on Toronto's fiery new pitching prospect, Irv Carter. For now, though, I'll lay out the agenda for today's episode. First things first, Mitch and I will give a brief update on the current state of MLB's ever-bothersome lockout. Then we'll give our take on some recent prospect rankings that have caught our eyes, and we'll finish off the episode with some reactions to Fangraph's new 2022 Blue Jays projections. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second episode of the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. All right, so we are on day 67 of the lockout. But before we get to kind of the CBA and the other stuff on the agenda today, uh, if you haven't had a chance to read, Ethan put out uh, a great story about a top Blue Jays prospect, Irv Carter, a recent draft pick from last year. It's a long read, but definitely worth it. Uh, You really get some good insight. But Ethan, do you want to kind of walk us through uh, your biggest takeaways from that story? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with Irv, what drew him to me initially was uh, there was kind of a viral video, I guess, of him reacting to to his draft pick in the fifth round there by Toronto. Uh, and it was quite emotional and it kind of put me, him on uh, my radar. And then I saw, you know, a couple months later that he had gone and visited uh, a children's hospital in Toronto, which I thought was, um, you know, out of the ordinary. And it spoke maybe to his character. So that definitely caught my attention and uh, was able to arrange an interview with him and uh, he kind of exceeded my expectations, believe it or not, even with, uh, you know, even with I knew what I knew about him coming in, um, you know, I learned so much more about him and he's such a deep person uh, and he's a thoughtful kid, uh, just 19 years old still. Um, and his journey's cool and uh, he has a lot to say and he's a super charismatic person and uh, everyone I talked to uh, around him that had any type of uh, interaction with her mentioned his character, mentioned his his fire on the mound and his ferocity. So if you haven't read that story, uh, yeah, for sure. Just give it, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Uh, it's a bit of a longer read, but yeah, well worth uh, getting acclimated to someone who will be ideally a big part of Toronto's pitching staff in a few years. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth the read. And he's probably two or three years away. Uh, you get into kind of both his off field and on field stuff, but was there any kind of anecdotes or things you wanted to include in the story that kind of just didn't make the cut or on the, the cutting room floor that you can recall? That didn't make the cut. Um, I got kind of, uh, he talked, you know, what? you know, what didn't unfortunately make the cut was he talked a lot about the importance of um, African-American representation in MLB. Uh, and just with the way that my word count was running, it didn't get, the chance to go in but he talked a lot about how uh as as a pitcher he idolized guys like chris archer uh and marcus stroman who um if you read the story you'll see that he did have a a small conversation with uh with uh, that stroman had a conversation with irv and uh they've been chit-chatting back and forth and so stroman may act kind of like a a mentor or someone to be in touch with especially with his knowledge of toronto uh so yeah there was a bit more detail into that but what I really did explore and what I found the most captivating was kind of his mindset and, you know, his pregame routines and his thought process. And, you know, when you watch a video of him pitching uh, it's kind of it, it's his body language and his, you know, his, his ferocity is, is how I explain it because there's really no other way to put it. Um, I really just wanted to know what went into that, 
what what he was thinking and uh i did my best to paint that picture and i think uh when all was said and done we got to know a little bit more about earth carter yeah for sure it seems like the jays are not shy to pick kind of these big fun guys obviously they traded mm-hmm. marcus stroman and he was really known for that but they drafted alec manoa right after that and they drafted irv carter so they're I don't know if they're necessarily drawn to these kinds of guys, but they're definitely not scared off of them at all. Uh, but and, and they're going to be fun to watch on the mound, but Manoa already has been. But we will get away from the fun stuff. We'll get back to the CBA and the labor negotiations that are still ongoing. Uh, I don't actually even know if we can say the negotiations are ongoing, but the, the lockout is very much ongoing. Uh, what's the update on the uh, lockout for us, Ethan? Yeah, so the biggest news, I guess, would have been that uh, MLB proposed the idea of using a federal mediator uh, to, you know, jumpstart the stalled negotiations with the with the PA, uh, and so that'd be just a, a neutral third party that would come in um, and kind of get the get the ball rolling, so to speak. And uh, the Players Association, I guess, turned that down. Um, and there's a couple reasons that that could have been. Um, but what I first wanted to check was, you know, what was the what was the precedent for uh, federal mediation in baseball? So I, I kind of when when the news first broke, I was like, OK, let's let me just uh, search up mediator uh, pro sports lockout or whatever it was. And I saw it came to the NHL uh, in 2013 and they had a lockout. And I was like, OK, this looks good. You know, this looks good. The, the, the mediator was huge to to helping the owners and the players come to an agreement there and start that season. Um, but turns out it hasn't been so successful in baseball. Uh, I believe it was in, I might be wrong on this, but 1981, I, th- I think that one helped out, but the second one was 19, the 1994 lockout uh, mediator did nothing there. Uh, the world series was scrapped that year. Um, so some of the reasons we're hearing about why, uh, and, and ESPN has covered this particularly. Uh, so definitely a hat tip to them, but they said it from the player's perspective, it may just be a waste of time. Like the players have been very adamant that they don't believe the owners uh, and the commissioner's office is, is, is bargaining in good faith. Um, and I, I think they're really just both dug in. And so they've turned that down. And then the, the latest update after that, uh, John Heyman from MLB Network, he tweeted that the owners will be meeting sometime this upcoming week, uh, the group of owners. And then after that meeting, they will hopefully uh, come to the PA with some kind of counter proposal to, to, to the last negotiation. Yeah. And so that will be the second week of February. It's normally kind of the week or the week before pitchers and catchers report. Uh, and that kind of plays into the fact that we're really starting to push deadlines here. There's a couple dates and Jesse Robert Rogers of ESPN has done a good job kind of breaking these dates down and he gave dates to worry, which we are now very much nearing those dates to worry. So pitchers and catchers this year were supposed to report on February 15th. If there's no CBA by February 8th, that date is kind of in jeopardy. And we sit here on February 6th, the night of February 6th. It's not looking like we're going to have a CBA by then. So pitchers and catchers are not going to report. Major league pitchers and catchers are not going to report. Uh, And then the next big date is spring training games beginning. That's February 26th. If we don't have a CBA by February 19th, that date's in jeopardy. So basically they would need a week to kind of figure everything out and get everyone to camp. Um, I'm not terribly optimistic of that date. I know a lot of people are kind of 
eyeing that as the next big date on the calendar if they can figure something out before then. But as we've kind of seen, something big would have to change for that to be realistic. And then kind of the bigger date, bigger than all of those dates, is opening day, which is March 31st. And if we're sitting here in the first week of March and we don't have a CBA, there's a very real chance that games are delayed this year. Mm -hmm. And that would be just awful for everyone involved, you know, players and people talk about fans kind of tuning out. And then, you know, for folks like us, whose employment is gainfully attached to baseball, uh, that's kind of a a bummer as well. Um, I'm really, I'm really hoping it like, you know, the entire baseball community that it won't happen, but, you know, at this point, I think we kind of need to, to get a little bit of reality into those thoughts. And uh, it, it does look like the season Spring training, I think at this point we can probably say is going to be delayed. Uh, and then, you know, with spring training being delayed in those weeks that pitchers and catchers need to get, you know, the battery needs to, to work out its chemistry. But more importantly, the pitchers need to stretch out their arms. Right. That's that's important. There's it's a it's a slow build up. And, you know, we saw uh, today Hanjin Ryu was throwing a bullpen uh, with the uh, Hanwha Eagles in Korea, which was good. So I guess he's coming. He's finding a a creative way to work around it. Now, I'm not too sure if there is a lockout, Mitch, maybe you could speak to this question, but are players allowed to to go and play elsewhere and play in the KBO and the NPB? Um, that's actually a really interesting question. I know when there was the NHL lockout, which is my kind of reference for this, guys did do that. They went and played in Europe, but it, it's kind of interesting. I don't know Baseball is kind of a different animal just with the wear and tear injuries. I don't know if obviously the teams can't talk to the players right now, but I don't know if the players would want to be kind of, especially pitchers wasting bullets in a yeah. situation like that in a non world series competing uh, format guys could work out together. They can do kind of fake games like they were doing during COVID sometimes getting together, but I'd be pretty surprised if many players go, uh, I know Ryu, he's still rocking blue Jays gear. He's, very much not a Hanwha Eagle. He's just kind of at their spring training, especially because they're in the South of Korea right now. Uh, It's a little warmer down there. So I think it's kind of the the spot he would be working out anyway. So it kind of works for him. Uh, I know he's got a very close relationship with the Eagles too. I was talking with someone who mentioned he he met his wife when he was with the Dodgers through the ownership or or the GM of the Hanwha Eagles. So I think it's kind of, a specific situation where he's just so close with that team and it just makes sense. But yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if guys are wasting bullets for non-MLB teams. Yeah. And it, it brought an interesting thought to mind that, you know, maybe trying my best to squeeze, to juice as much positive as I can out of this, but, you know, for guys who have had to deal with COVID and, and shutdowns and, you know, a lost minor league season, I guess I'd say that players, especially pitchers whose arms are, are, are so fragile, they, are maybe better equipped to handle a lockout or a, you know, a series of games uh, that aren't being played because of how the pandemic shut things down and there was uncertainty. And then MLB ended up playing, of course, just a 60 game season. So, you know, maybe guys will be, they'll have a better idea, I guess, of how to handle this. But like I said, uh, it's still just an unsavory experience uh, on all, on all ends. Yeah, it is kind of that's an interesting point, because on the one hand, these guys are very familiar with what a shortened season would look like, what a quick two or three week spring training could look like. But also they're very familiar with what losing paychecks looks like and what having to negotiate 
with each other about getting a season together looks like. So it's both a positive and negative maybe because they've lost a lot of money recently and people are going to start losing money too if uh, spring training and opening day gets delayed. But we do have some baseball tangential things to talk about despite no transactions. There, This is kind of the the prospect and projection season. And that's what we're going to talk about mostly today. Prospects rankings have dropped projections and projection systems are really starting to come out. And so we're going to start by breaking down kind of the big prospect ranking lists and where the blue Jays fall, what we kind of think about the guys that are on the lists, who could make a jump up. And I'll just give a quick rundown here of, of kind of the guys you should know on the major lists, and then we can dive into it uh, with the baseball America list. They have, Gabriel Moreno, who's a big name. He's going to be on all these lists at number seven. Nate Pearson, number 62. Or Elvis Martinez is number 75. Uh, Keith Law does a list for The Athletic. He had Moreno at six. He had Kevin Smith at 89. And he had Jordan Groshans at 99. So no Pearson or Martinez on that list. He, or I'm, I actually believe he had Martinez on the list. I'll, I'll check back there. Sorry. Uh, yeah, on, the, on Keith Law's list, Martinez was uh, at 44. Perfect. Toronto's second highest prospect. I scrolled right by him down to Kevin Smith. I missed him there. Uh, We have on the baseball prospectus list, we had Moreno at the lowest on any of these major lists at 22, Groshans at 60, Martinez at 62, and Nate Pearson at 73. So I'll throw it over to you, Ethan. What kind of first stuck out when you saw these rankings? I guess you could go a lot of ways. Um, uh, We'll we'll start, I guess we could start like sequentially. Well, first of all, I think Kevin Smith being included is, is really intriguing. So we'll touch on that in a minute, but I had his bags uh, packed last week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Moreno at at the top is, is what stands out the most. And so now, you know, as at the Toronto part of side of baseball, you know, knew Moreno very well this last season Uh, as fans. And, you know, as journalists like us, we were keeping a close eye on him and he was hitting and he was hitting and he kept hitting. And then, you know, it was actually you who asked Ross Atkins, hey, you know, he hasn't been in the lineup for, for a few days. What the heck's going on? And he said, uh, you know, he uh, he broke his thumb. And so that really kind of unfortunately put a, a cap, a bit of a cap and a delay on Moreno's strong season. Um, but from what we understand and what's being, you know, um, written about him, he's exceptional. Uh, in, in, in the athletic story there, Keith Law notes that he actually is, you know, quite talented at playing the infield as well. Uh, you know, on top of his, his ability at catcher, uh, he's a bit of an undersized guy, um, but he's athletic. And uh, from what I've watched uh, in his catching videos, uh, he's got a strong arm. He's quick. Uh, he's nice and wide with his runners on stance. So there's no one knee catching. So if, uh, if Joe Siddle's listening, he'll be happy. If Pat Tabler's listening, they'll, <laughs> they'll be quite happy. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, his skills at the plate are what stand out to everyone. Um, and I think he's got a real good chance. I mean, he's got a good chance to play for the Jays in 2022, uh, probably not right away. So I imagine he'll start at AAA, but you know, what are, what are some things that you've liked about Moreno? Yeah, I think it's harder to find something that I, or kind of anyone in the industry doesn't like, uh, BP had him the lowest at 22. So that kind of speaks for itself. He is mm-hmm. a consensus top 25 Really, if you take that BP ranking out, throw in the MLB pipeline rankings that haven't yet been finalized, he's going to be a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball. Mm-hmm. And like the, the Baltimore Orioles spent four years tanking to get a top 10 catching prospect. And the Blue, Jay, Blue Jays just 
plucked this guy out of Venezuela, and now mm-hmm. they have a very comparable asset and uh, what's going to be a great future player. I think it is kind of interesting. You noted the infield play. I think uh, Keith did mention he thinks he's going to be a good infielder. So I think it's kind of a decision of do you put him behind the plate? Do you take that value of the bat at a catching position, which they'll take Danny Jansen's bat at a catching position, and he's a good major league catcher. Imagine a, a 120, 125 OPS plus there. That would be uh, truly impressive. Or do you play him in the infield? Or what I think is most likely, you kind of use both options to get him in the lineup as much as possible. I think they'll do kind of what they do with Alejandro Kirk, where they catch him, and then they put him in the lineup in another capacity. For Kirk, that's DH. For Moreno, I could see that being third base. Yeah, yeah, no, it's t- like bat number one, right? Like that's that's his tool. He's got he's got the quick swing, uh, and he's impressed so far with the bat. The only concern I would have with uh, having a guy platoon at positions, essentially, you know, as he's getting used, like catching is is an animal of its own, right? And you need to uh, acclimate yourself with the pitching staff. Uh, you know, there's a lot you need to work on uh, game calling. You need to, you know, that, that takes a while. That takes a while to get used to what a pitcher wants in certain situations. And a lot of it is feel back and forth through repetition. So especially for a young catcher, uh, it's not an easy position to just jump into the majors in. So if you were having hit, like I get, you know, you can have him play a couple games at third base and he could take ground balls before games, but learning two positions at the same time would be challenging. So I could also see, a, you know, a scenario where they keep him, as a full-time catcher and maybe after a few years, you know, of just a few games sprinkled here at third base, uh, even at second base, maybe I know we saw Russell Martin play the third base, second base combo a few years ago. Um, you know, that something could maybe come where he plays in a little bit of a, uh, a utility role, but for now, um, you know, he's Toronto's best prospect. It's amazing that uh, they've had another international signing shoot so high up the list. Uh, but he's not the only international signing. So we'll go to the uh, the next guy at 44 on Keith's, Keith Law's list there. Yeah, it's the guy I missed the first time, or Elvis Martinez. And he's kind of, Moreno obviously rose a lot on all of these lists, but he was kind of a mid-season riser, an early season riser. Uh, Martinez was the other big riser, and he was kind of the power guy. He, uh, I, I was reading some stuff about uh, the scouting reports that the Jays had on him, and they kind of, tried to challenge him this year and you could see at all of the levels he got to uh, he struggled for the first couple of weeks and then he got really hot and started hitting a bunch of home runs so I think it'll be interesting for him the thing I'm most kind of curious with is how much do they challenge him next year is he a guy mm-hmm. who can get up to triple a uh, I would be kind of surprised I see him kind of topping out at double a maybe gets a brief taste at triple a kind of like Moreno did this year barring the injuries but I think it is kind of interesting to see how much because the Jays historically are kind of a, a one year one league level organization. They like just plopping you at single A, moving you up to double A the next year. With some of the guys we're talking about today on this list, they really challenged last year. And I think the the COVID pandemic had a lot to do with that. The, the missed season for the minor leaguers, they had to kind of push some guys up these league levels, but they were super comfortable and impressed with the challenges that Martinez met. Yeah, well, you mentioned guys that challenge for spots like Martinez started in low A and you watched you like it's comical. You're watching videos of him crushing baseballs like into the light standards and you're at a you're at a low A game. So there's not that many people like maybe someone's grandmother and the snack vendor and 
you know, he cuts it and it's just a massive pop and you watch the ball fly and you're like, my goodness, like, is this guy playing beer league softball? So he, his power is, is huge. And like, that's, that's what jumped him from low A to high A. The, the counter as the, the ebbs and flows of, of that type of player is that he does contact might be a problem for him. So it'll be interesting to watch his strikeout rate going forward. Um, that'll be something to watch. He's listed also as a shortstop. Given his size, uh, how he profiles as a hitter, he's probably going to end up moving to third base, kind of like a, a, a Jordan Groshans who's coming up in, in initially as a shortstop as well. Uh, I like that you, yes, you like, I could see him. I could see him certainly finishing the season in AAA. Uh, I imagine he'll start in AA. I think mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that, that, I mean, he wasn't like as exceptional in high A, obviously, as he was in low A, but uh, the way guys are pushing and the way he's challenging, I could see him starting in double A. And then a 2023 ETA is what MLB.com says. I think that's, you know, that, that's early, but uh, the way we've seen, again, prospects jump so quickly, like you think Alec Manoa, you think of Moreno, who's on the doorstep already. Uh, it's totally not, you know, out of the picture that he arrives. Uh, sooner rather than later yeah i think it's my big takeaways that you kind of also hit on there he's a big guy he is just like a very traditional third baseman i'm not super familiar with his arm but he just kind of makes a lot of sense as a future third baseman so you can kind of plug him in there it'll be interesting to see the organization loves kind of putting everyone at shortstop and you're a shortstop until you're no longer a shortstop so Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if this is the year or maybe next year where they move him off of that uh permanently um, or maybe he's forever shortstop and we could be completely wrong on that. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. There's a good chance next year. He's kind of the Gabriel Moreno where it's like, when does this guy get to the big leagues? Not if, uh, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of interesting with Martinez. Cause he's right behind he's ahead in some of these rankings, but right behind on the blue Jays depth chart of Jordan Groshans, who you mentioned mm-hmm. briefly. And it'll be interesting to see how those two, how they kind of, deal with the development of those two having two solid top tier infielders. And he is, I believe, yeah, he stuck into the athletic list at 99. He was 60th on the BP list was not on the baseball America list. He was last year and has fallen off the list. And some kind of concerns with him are the opposite of Orelvis Martinez. He's got the batted ball skills. He's a good walk rate guy. But the power, the game power hasn't quite showed up. It's kind of been the doubles power. I think he has like 14 or 15 home runs in basically 150 minor league games. So you kind of want to see the power come from him. He's had a couple injuries. I think you mentioned that last uh, episode. So maybe that's sapping some of the power. It'll be interesting to see. Give him a full season, double A, triple A. Does that game power come? Yeah, the the power is is like the the surface level and, and the easy criticism for Groshans mm-hmm. and uh, I think, you know, I think he's hearing some of the criticism. I know if I'm not mistaken that, you know, when Keith thought came out with his list or when, when, when these lists are starting to come out and Groshans is seeing his name, drop, 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 drop. I believe he, he tweeted something to the extent of like, I'm going to keep working, like forget the haters, whatever. <laughs> uh, injuries are a big part of his um, I don't want to say that he's stagnating, but like not his, his, he's not rising in these prospect lists. Uh, he's at, you know, at best kind of staying within expectations. And in some lists, he's even dropping. Um, so, but Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic, who's uh, a friend of, of yours and I, she wrote a story on Groshans. She had a chance to interview him this offseason. Um, 
And he opened up a lot about that kind of stuff. And he off the top talked about how people are criticizing his lack of power. Hmm. Um, and so he kind of described himself uh, this off season is, you know, he's, he's not worried about it. You know, he's, he's the type of guy that he's like Bo Bichette who, who told me that, you know, I don't try to hit home runs. I just swing and, and, and it comes. And he's the type of guy who he's getting lean. He says he's, he feels like he's in his best physical form at 210 pounds. And he said, the power is going to come. He's, he's not stressing that. Um, he's working on some other stuff. He said he wants to be a better teammate. He wants to change his attitude to be, you know, he said when he first came into the league, he was really concerned and hyper-focused on making it to the bigs, right? It was just, I want to get there. I want to get there now. You know, I want to prove myself. He has learned, um, you know, in Caitlin's story, we read that he's learned from some of the older minor leaguers that, you know, it does matter what you do as a teammate in, in double A and triple you know, there, there's a season to win there too. And you do the best you can at each level. Um, and, and you go from there. And so patience, I think is a big theme in his story. And he's a kind he's the guy that's, you know, he's, he was a first round pick and uh, the Jays want to see him fans want to see him. Um, but I think we really just need to, to also emphasize his theme of patience and uh, not read too much into that and into his drop in the rankings, because I think he's a guy that's not too far away. Uh, and can really be a difference maker for Toronto. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, his his patient approach we should take as well. And it's also like not like this guy's nobody now. It, he's mm-hmm. still on multiple top 100 prospect lists. Being a top 100 prospect comes with lofty expectations. Like you are supposed to be at very least a solid major league player if you're on these lists. So I think people might be souring on Jordan Groshans just because the other eye-catchy risers are kind of getting in the way. But he's someone who will be very important to the Blue Jays' success. If they don't go out and get a free agent second baseman or third baseman this year, they might be relying on Jordan Groshans taking a step as soon as this year, at the very least next year. They're going to need, if he's in this organization and they don't have a clear fill at that hole, he's going to be the guy, or he's going to need to be the guy, unless someone else who we mentioned appears on one of these lists before, before you make the transition. I I just want to point something out that I found very funny from that athletic story is that Groshans called the CN tower. The, what did he say? The big needle above the stadium. Maybe. maybe. Uh, Yeah. That, that, I just thought that was funny um, and worth mentioning. Uh, Uh, Very much. Sorry to, sorry to cut off your pivot where, you know, that was ironing out this. That was a crucial detail. I can't get over Okay. All right. I think it is kind of funny. You talk to these guys, especially now during the lockout, we're kind of talking to these guys over the phone and maybe at spring training, you get to talk to them. How many of them have never been in Toronto? It's you don't really think about it. It's like lots of these guys. I think Alec Manoa, when they drafted him, didn't even have a passport. Like these are a lot of guys who some of them have never left the country, especially the American draftees. Some of them definitely have never been to Toronto. So it's, I do understand yeah. why. Obviously, we've been to Toronto. Guys who come to Toronto, they see it a little bit differently. But a lot of the guys, I bet you get drafted in the second round by the Toronto Blue Jays, and you're like, like, oh my God, the Toronto Blue Jays, like Canada. And it's you get kind of funny quips like that about the the space needle yeah. and the needle in front of the ballpark. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you remember from Adam Simber's introductory press conference, he talked about, I can't, I can't remember if he did. Well, obviously, he'd been to Toronto because he'd played on, on visiting teams. But he said, oh, I remember playing... Uh, MLB the show or something and saying, I remember the Roger center with the big, with the big tower there. And like, that was, that was a big thing. And then yeah, even talking to Irv Carter, like he's, he's from Boynton beach, Florida. Like these guys are so far away from Toronto and, you know, he got to the hotel and he looked outside and it was snowing and he's like, 
whoa, like this is cool. And he just sat and just watched the snowfall uh, from, from his hotel room. And then he went right to Tim Hortons. So, you know, these guys, uh, are, Toronto's definitely like a, a bit of a, a new experience, but they're really leaning into it. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the baseball guys kind of luck out because the season very much does not overlap with the snow. It's pretty mm-hmm. rare to have uh, significant snow during the baseball season when they're going to be here for long homestands. So they they kind of luck out. The the guys who are used to the sun don't have to deal with, with the true authentic Toronto winters, um, which mm-hmm. have been kind of mild this year and recently. But uh, moving on to the guy I was transitioning to, uh, another third baseman. Kevin Smith, who I, this was kind of the one that most jumped out to me. Uh, He's a guy who's seen in the big leagues we talked about earlier. uh, And he is number 89 on the athletic Keith Law's list. And he, just from reading the little recap on him, is very high on him. He he says he's he's kind of gotten himself a little quieter at the plate, a little more consistent. He says he's an above average defender, which I think you've talked about before. Charlie Montoyo's talked about before. And I, I talked to, Casey Candell, I think very early last season, I was kind of asking me like, who's sticking out to you? And like, for what, for what reasons? And he said, Smith is like a very good defensive shortstop. And we kind of see Kevin Smith as the third baseman guy, or maybe the, the utility guy. But I think we're kind of sleeping on his defense from what we've heard. And I think kind of, I forgot how good people think he is defensively uh, until I read that Keith thought list. And I think that's kind of the power. And then that is a big reason he snuck onto that top 100. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of the reason he stuck around on the roster for as long as he did was because of his defense. I mean, he he uh, had an extraordinary season in AAA. Uh, he was hitting for power. Uh, he was getting the average up and the OBP up. And he came to Toronto, um, you know, with – I mean, he, he's, he's a 25-year-old rookie. Like, I wouldn't say that he was a guy that, you know, he wasn't getting the Vladdy welcome to Toronto. He was kind of an under-the-radar call-up. Uh, and he got here, and he has all kinds of power. But I think for him, the timing was just a little bit off. And Keithaw mentions that he needed to quiet his hands. Uh, you know, he's a guy that just, he hit that one home run uh, at, at Comerica. And I think he's someone that could really benefit from just more reps. I think he's, he's that kind of guy. Uh, he, just, he just looked a bit off. I think he was three for 36. Power was there. Timing was not. Um, I, like, I like Kevin a lot. Uh, I like him as a player. I uh, like him as a person. He's he's a, a thoughtful guy. And yeah, his defense, he's taking reps in left field. I'm sure he could play right field. Uh, and, and Toronto's going to probably benefit from that versatility unless they sign like a, a marquee third baseman or a marquee second baseman. So he's someone that I think could be valuable. But maybe I'll throw this to you. Do you think his value is maybe greater as a trade ship? Yeah, I think it's it's so hard outside of kind of the Toronto bubble. And I try to check myself every so often being like, this is how we see these guys. This is how we hear about these guys. How much are they truly valued outside the organization? And I think I mentioned it last episode. He's kind of in that Riley Adams tier where if you're trading him, it's probably for maybe like a good year of a, at the time, seemingly good reliever. Um, so I don't know if like who will not be named. Yes, we're strictly no mentioning of that unnamed former Washington Nationals reliever um, on this podcast. But uh, yeah, we, I think it's, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh yeah. So I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily worth trading him unless he gets pushed off of that position by a signing or a trade. Uh, And and I don't think you're going to get that guy by trading Kevin Smith. And I think he's the type of guy who can really benefit by fighting 
for or having to fight for a job in spring training. I think he's the type of guy who can kind of come in and you've talked to him a lot more than I have, but he seems like the type of guy who would kind of relish that opportunity to fight for that and the opportunity to be in big league camp with a real shot at a job. And that's when you kind of, yeah, spring training stats don't really matter, but for a guy like that, who'd be fighting for maybe a starting job, maybe just a spot on the 26 man roster. It'd be interesting to see uh, how he shows up and what he does in those games. And in those, uh, yeah. those moments. Yeah, for sure. And see, that was what I was going to ask you. I was thinking, you know, where does he start? You, is he a guy that starts again in AAA and he's got to do the whole dance again? Or do you see him cracking the roster as uh, as a bench guy? Or, you know, it's possible he's the starting third baseman or the starting second baseman. Uh, and, you know, to answer my own question, I, I think, yeah, I think I could see him it, spring training dependent, of course, if he has a disastrous spring training and, and, and the Jays uh, staff see something that could maybe benefit from some more time in AAA, then that could change things. But I think he's, he's a piece that uh, can really contribute to the 2022 Blue Jays. His power is big, right? He's his, he offers more power than a guy like Santiago Espinal. Uh, he's right-handed hitting, unfortunately. Uh, well, not unfortunately, but for Toronto's situation, that's, that's unfortunate. And that's talked quite a bit about how badly they need a left-handed hitter. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that uh, I was really surprised to be honest, to see on Keith Law's list. So maybe he sees something that, that, um, that we don't, or that, you know, he sees something more into it. Um, because when you think of Kevin Smith, you don't exactly think of like up and coming prospect, right? Like he's a 20, he was drafted in 2017 in the fourth round. He's just kind of been one of those guys that's a little bit buried in the, uh, in the minor league system. And to your point about him kind of relishing in a role like that. Yeah. You think, you know, a guy who's had to do that, that whole minor league rodeo where you, you have to scrape for living and you have to scrape for cash and you have to, you know, you, you maybe not, and this is being talked about more in Toronto is one of the teams that's actually committing to uh, providing a little bit more for their minor leaguers, but someone who's had to earn their stripes really like they didn't, they didn't just shoot up here. He's had to work really, really hard. Um, so he's projected to be more of a, of, of a player in the 2022 Blue Jays. And I think, that is a good segue to move into our next section, which is about uh, fan graph projections and these zips projections. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're not necessarily amazing at this whole podcast thing, but I think we have the transition game down. I think that's, we're 80 grade transition podcast. Uh, for, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's just the hamster wheel that spins in my brain, just <laughs> stopping him at the right time when I feel it and then shooting over to you. So that's, that's what we're going to work on. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So for people who don't know the projections, both for like individual players and kind of the standings projections have started to come out. And obviously it is a bit of a weird year in that there's like half the free agency pool is still not on a team. I'm sure you could put together a 90 win team just from the free agents because transactions have stopped due to the lockout. But uh, so it does make for some funky projections and some clear holes on teams that are going to jump three or four wins. Uh, but we do kind of have the time now. We might not have the time when the lockout lifts to talk about these. So it's kind of interesting to look at them. I think we'll start with kind of the team projections, which I think came out late last week or maybe this weekend. Uh, the Fangraphs, Zips, projected AL East. They have the New York Yankees in first with a 90-win team. They have the Toronto Blue Jays in second with an 89-win team. They have the Tampa Bay Rays in third with 88 wins. The Red Sox fourth, 83. And the Baltimore Orioles still in fifth with 64 wins. One of these days we're going to be talking about 
a first place Baltimore Orioles team. I'm pretty confident of that. Just probably not next year, but uh, pretty confident. Uh, eventually, you got to think. <laughs> Barring at baseball totally collapsing at freezing cold takes. <laughs> I get I get forever for that though. They can't freezing cold take me until I die. <laughs> um, but I think so. The the one interesting thing here is they have the Toronto Blue Jays with a 63.8 percent chance of making the playoffs. I think you look at the 89 wins, you probably think that's a little low. You've got to take into account that they don't have a second or third baseman on the roster, aside from Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal. So the projection systems really see, like, I think the projected war I had written down here for those positions was like 0.7 for third base. They think the team's going to have it 1.6 for second base, and that's kind of between Espinal and Biggio and some other options. So if they plug those holes, they can quickly become kind of the 93-94 win team that people think they can be or probably should be. Um, but yeah, they're Fangraphs preseason um, playoff percentages are usually pretty conservative. They don't give any team kind of over 90% chance. So I think 64% chance uh, should give Blue Jays fans pretty confident that the projections and the stats kind of back up what they're hoping the season can be. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think if you did a poll of a bunch of Jays fans and you asked them, you know, what do you think of 89 wins as a projection? I think, you know, they'd probably be pretty sour on that. They'd think that you know, you could do, you could do a lot better, but if you phrase it more in the context of, like you said, a, uh, a 63% playoff chance or second place in, in the AL East, I think that sounds, you know, a, a lot better. Um, the problem with the Jays 2021 season is that it was just, it set the bar very high, first of all, which is a good thing because Toronto's really starting that strong competitive window that uh, people have been expecting of this, you know, next generation of players. Um, but it's just a testament to the, how strong the AL East is, right? Like 91 wins last year. You st- if you told me at this, if we were having the same discussion, you know, in February of last year and said the Jays are going to win 91 games, what do you think of that season? Is it a disappointment? You'd say, hell no. Right. Like that. And you'd think they'd be in the playoffs too. Right. But Toronto finished fourth in the division last year. And so that's why, yeah, I think, I think playoff percentage is the stat to look at here. And like, <laughs> Boston at 83 and 79, like I know they were counted out last year too. And, you know, they came out and they scraped together. Right. Um, and, you know, they, they knocked out the Yankees in the wildcard game. Um, so I wouldn't count anyone out really. Like, I feel like those four teams are, you know, four of the strongest teams in the American league and they could finish, you know, any one of them between first and fourth. So again, is the big takeaway nothing? No, it's not nothing. Uh, but it's definitely that there's four strong teams. Toronto, I would think, is on the upper end of those teams uh, as the roster stands. But like you said, there's still so many free agents out there and so many um, variables that we still need to take into account. So anything can change, I guess, from now and the start of the season. Yeah, I think if any of these teams sign Carlos Correa, I'd be pretty surprised if the Rays do that. But if any of these teams sign... Korea, they immediately become probably the division favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. If any of them trade for Matt Olson, maybe the same, but uh, or sign Freddie Freeman. And we'll, we'll toss that name in there for, for the clicks. But um, yeah, 6.2% chance right now, Blue Jays win the World Series. So it's six. if they were to have 100 seasons, 6.2 of those, the Blue Jays are going to win the World Series. You can, you can mm-hmm. take that to the bank. But uh, kind of the more interesting thing to look at is kind of the individual projections. So I have a we kind of looked at the Zips projections, which they kind of get funky sometimes. They're not always the most reliable, but sometimes, especially with established major leaguers, they are 
a pretty good indicator of how the stats and how the industry kind of sees these guys and what they're going to be next year. I, I have a few takeaways, but what kind of stuck out initially when you were looking through the Zips projections? Yeah, apart from the, uh, the some of the wacky one-offs for those prospect rankings, which I guess, you know, it's not a perfect system, but um, I was kind of surprised. So I could talk maybe a little bit of some guys that I thought were just a little bit undervalued. So one of them was um, Jose Barrios at 3.1 wins above replacement. So now that's a little bit behind, I believe, Kevin Gosman's uh, wins above replacement. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm really high on Brios. Um, he's a super durable guy, and I think he can log a lot of innings, and he can log a lot of innings at a high level, which, you know, should jack up that wins above replacement. Um, so 2021 for him, he was at 4.1 wins above replacement. So to not to say that he would regress, but it seems like Zips is not as uh, bullish on his 2022 season. Um, you know, park factors make it, more challenging for, for, for Jay's pitchers, I think. And, you know, pitching at, at Rogers center in the AL East for a full season for him. Like <laughs> you look at the AL central and you look at their zips projections and you're like, Oh, what would you, as if you're a Jay's fan, what would you do to switch over to that division for a hot minute? Um, so yeah, Barrios is a guy that I was surprised at how low he'd be. Cause I don't know how you see it, but like we talked about, you know, last season, it was like, okay, reuse the ace, right? People kind of thought that Ryu would be the ace of the staff. And as the season went on, it was like, okay, Robbie Ray is, you know, he's the co-ace as Charlie started calling him. And then, you know, by the end of the season, he was the Cy Young winner and he was the clear ace. So the Barrios um, projection stood out a bit to me, just that it was behind Gosman and that it was, you know, a little bit lower than last season. I don't know between those two guys, who do you think it's hard to say now, but for, for banter's sake, who do you think is the guy you could really see stepping up and maybe taking that one A job in the rotation? I think it is that that is a super interesting question because I think I have it here. They Gosman ERA not the most perfect stat, but we'll we'll use it for uh, for the sake of this exercise. Three point six one ERA they project Gosman. Three point eight four they project for Barrios. That would be the fourth ERA. Three point eight four Barrios is on the Blue Jays projected rotation they have Ryu at 3.69 and Manoa at 3.53 the lowest DRA on the team so I think it's I think Gosman I probably has the highest upside I think Barrios is probably going to be that 3.6 to 3.8 DRA guy and he's going to give you the innings and he's going to be really good but he's going to have a few starts where he only goes four innings he doesn't necessarily have it we saw that even with his brief time with the Blue Jays he, he had to battle for a few starts and those starts don't get ugly. They don't get seven or run ugly, but they keep his ERA from being in that low threes or in the twos. And I think Gosman's the type of guy who he can go eight. He can let up an earned run. Like he can be that guy. And if the splitter's on, we haven't really got to yeah. see it in person yet. He's, I would take him for being kind of the one A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like what he did last season was just phenomenal. Like it, it, I'm, I pull it up. Yeah. Now his, his wins above replacement last year were at 4.8. So that's, that's exceptional. And um, yeah, the splitter, like you talk about that and like when he signed, you know, everyone was pulling up videos, like you, you found a couple archives of him throwing that splitter. And I think it's really just like the most fascinating pitch. I mean, maybe from apart from the knuckleball, but the splitter is just such an interesting pitch because of it's like un, unnatural movement. Like it almost drops like a, like a knuckler and it's unpredictable. Like Gosman shared a video on Twitter the other day of uh, 
you know, a pitch that went and just cut ridiculously that his, his catcher, I can't remember who it would have been uh, almost missed it. And he's like, and they're like, what, what pitch was this? And he's like, Oh, it was the splitter, but it just cut that time. Like it, it's just such a, a deadly, deadly pitch if you can get it. Uh, and you know, someone who implemented it recently was uh, you know, albeit with the help of some uh, foreign substances was a role Chapman and watching a role Chapman throw a splitter was insane. Like the guy that, can pump up the fastball to a hundred. He's got a sharp slider. And then he throws a splitter that when the spin rate slows down, it really looks like a tumbling knuckler at like 90 something miles per hour. So I, you know, getting off topic, but Gosman, I think is, is really intriguing. And I know you're feeling the same way, but I'm really excited definitely to watch him pitch. Uh, move, moving on to some other guys, I guess, who was a, another name for you that stood out in the projections? I thought, this maybe this is a cop out answer, but the one that stood out most to me is Vlad Guerrero Jr. I think it's last year before the season, we're kind of having the discussion like, what is this guy going to be? Like, is he going to take the step? Is he going to come in looking slim? And is he going to going to kind of fulfill the prospect potential? And he just did. He did all of that. Everything that could have been asked for of him, he did it. And the projection systems now take that year. They take his minor league years and they show you that this guy's kind of legit. He's supposed to be legit. He is one batting average point in the Zips projections away from leading all of the American League or being projected to lead all of the American League triple count categories. He was very much in kind of that race for most of the season last year until kind of the last two or three weeks of the year. He is projected to hit 303, which is one batting average point behind Luis Arias of the Minnesota Twins. He's projected to get 43 homers. He's projected to get 112 RBIs. And those would all be, oh, he's also projected to be behind Jordan Alvarez in RBS. I'm sorry, but he is in the top two in all of the RBI or all of the triple count categories, I believe, which is uh, truly uh, Raphael, Raphael Devers too. He is, he's right there is my point. But so I think the projection yeah. systems kind of bear out that he is a legit triple count contender. And I think that's something if he gets another hot start, we'll be on Vlad triple crown watch next year. Yeah, I think so. Really like in these projections I going off past precedent, like the strides that Vladdy made last year, again, are, are, are absolutely incredible. So setting the bar that high, you know, for a normal athlete uh, that maybe wasn't capable of the things that we've seen Vladdy do, you know, that would be, that'd be outlandish to expect, but I think really the, the bar now starts at, I think really the challenge has just begun for Vladdy. Like that's, that's kind of how I see it. Like he, he made, he had an amazing season. He made some amazing strides in, in his approach at the plate, you know, his, his, his diet, his routine, uh, his, his progression as a defensive first baseman too. And I just think the challenge is just beginning for him. He's, he's, how old is he? He's 23, 23, right? Yeah. He's 23. Right. And you know, he's going to be a blue Jay for a long time, barring some dramatic changes in the new CBA. Uh, you know, and now he's got the weight of, uh, of a nation kind of on his shoulders. Like he it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time, but I think, you know, people were the loud few with the megaphones were maybe calling Vladdy a bust like a, a couple of years ago when he had those tough seasons or not even tough seasons, but just league average seasons because the expectations were so high. And so now he's delivered on this massive season that people were expecting. And I think if he thought maybe there was a lot of heat last year, I think he's got a standard to live up to. And it's good to see that that Zips is, is recognizing this. Um, but again, another guy that I, I'm really super, super excited to watch this year. 
Yeah, and this is very tangential and a lot of people are not going to care about this at all. But you look at these projections and they have a little column that's like average draft position for fantasy baseball. And the average draft position for, uh, albeit, I don't know how many people are drafting fantasy baseball teams in the middle of the lockout right now, for Vlad and Bo are 5.4 and 5.5. So the Toronto Blue Jays for the fantasy uh, baseball folks and Blue Jays fans have two of the top six players in like a standard fantasy baseball format, which is pretty crazy. Um but a guy who I also kind of noticed and was particularly interested to see what the projection systems would have this guy for is George Springer, who we talk about uh, Vlad and Bo, and they are projected to be the two best hitters on this team. I think if we came into last season, we would have expected Springer to kind of be that best hitter on the team, maybe the best player on the team. And he's very much not expected to be that now. He's expected uh, by the, the Zips projections to play 100 games, which it's it's pretty hard to project playing time. Like uh, you got to kind of just look at injuries, look at benchmarks and a lot of guys, I think they don't really project 162. I think they, they cut guys off at 156 and say something will happen for five games because only Marcus Semyon plays 162 games. So it is hard to project playing time, but I'm kind of curious given the season he had last year, given the contract he got, if he plays a hundred games and racks up his projected 3.3 war, are you kind of willing to call that a successful season? Or do you think both Springer will expect of himself and the Jays would expect Springer to be better than that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, like you have to weigh games played versus like contribution, right? Cause Springer, when he was healthy and when he was in the lineup, he was, you know, he was awesome. He was, he was, I don't know if you can say exceeding expectations, but he was, he was a clutch hitter. Uh, he was delivering in big spots. He was hitting for power. Uh, the, just, the problem was he just wasn't in the lineup enough. Right. Um, and so I think if you look at a hundred games played, if you were to tell me, you know, fresh off the Jays um, 2021 season and off Springer's performance, you tell, you told me, you know, in the second year of his, his six-year deal that he's only going to play a hundred games in year two. I, I think that'd be a little disappointing. Um, I think you want him to, to at least play something close to, to, to 120, 125. Uh, again, it's, it's health dependent. And he, you know, he credit to him. He battled last year because he had a handful of different injuries and he was wearing a massive knee brace for, for a part of the season. Um, yeah. It's, it's intriguing. What, what did you say? The, uh, the war was again, 3.3, which would be the third highest amongst hitters. Okay. So last year he put up 2.4. Wow. And he played 78 games. Okay. Um, so like if you, if you could extrapolate that over the course of a season, um, I mean, I'm not good at math, but you'd think you'd double it, right? Round so five. that would be, yeah. yeah, you'd double it. That'd be up by, you know, what Bo Bichette contributed. Um, so I think, you know, it's really health dependent because you know, the production will be there. And I think it comes, you know, Charlie Montoya is going to have a really, another really interesting situation with this lineup where, you know, you don't really have like a, a knockout center fielder behind him. Like you got a guy like, uh, like Randall Gritchick who can, you can play the defense, you can play defense decent, like decently well. Uh, his hitting is, 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 you know, come and go sometimes. But um, I think again, that's where we'll see some guys get added in free agency, like a, a Gerard Dyson who came in last year and, and would play the, the ninth inning on defense and center field. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it comes down to how many games can Springer play how many at bats can he get? And, you know, how many at bats can he get with runners in scoring position? Because he's a run producer. He's paid to be a run producer. 
Um, and I think if he produces those runs and he's healthy for those at bats, uh, they'll consider uh, 2022 a success. Yeah, I think the my big takeaway from Springer is he was good last year. When he was mm-hmm. healthy, he was good. And you kind of mentioned that. And so it's, yeah, it does very much come down to how much he's going to play. And I think it's, yeah, there was some soft tissue stuff that you can kind of be a little worried about lingering, but they know that now. They're going to be super conscious of it. And there weren't injuries that kind of just came out of nowhere. There was the fall in the outfield. I think it was in Seattle and it, it, they're kind of like impact injuries. So those are things you kind of can hope just don't happen. You don't get that bad luck. Um, but another guy who I would probably hope Springer would be better than his 3.3 war. I think he would hope that. I don't know if he cares about war, but I think it'd be um, better than uh, what the projection systems say he would be, especially in terms of playing time. Another guy who I think probably a lot of people think will be better than these projections is Teoscar Hernandez, who mm-hmm. he's projected at two war 2.0 right on the dot. Uh, a lot of that is they don't love his defensive metrics, but he's also a great offensive player and they don't necessarily, I think, recognize the ceiling he has. I think it's super interesting. The projection systems have never really liked uh, Hernandez. I think they see his kind of BABIP as unsustainably high and then he just keeps going out and hitting to all fields and having these high BABIPs, which for, I don't know if, I'm not particularly sure if our, our audience is a, is a BABIP audience, but that's batting average on balls in play, which is basically when you hit a ball in fair territory, is it dropping for a hit? And I think anybody who watches enough of Teoscar play knows he's the type of guy who's going to outperform that statistic. He's not going to be a guy who's uh, hitting into a lot of line drives. He, he can find the grass and he can find the field because he's just that kind of hitter and he's really turned himself into that kind of hitter. So I would take the over on whatever these projection systems are going to give me for basically every single tail stat. Yeah, I agree with you. And when you talk about Babbitt, like, one of the things, and I've talked about it before, that stood out the most to me about Teo was, uh, you know, how well he's going the other way. Like, even as a guy, as a four stick, like he, when he came up, like the power's always been there with him. It's been the swing and miss and the lack of walks. Like that's, that's always been his issue. And he's hitting in the, like those, like the dark ages of the Blue Jays, like the, like Trent Thornton led the team in starting pitching and Clay Buckles was throwing innings like those like archaic times. Teo was like the cleanup guy, him and Justin Smoke, you know, they were, they were relied on for a lot of power and he was swinging out of his shoes. I think, you know, the stress has come off of him a little bit with a stronger core to support the team. And yeah, like I'm surprised that the the rankings are so low on him because, you know, the last two seasons he's been exceptional, right? Like he's got back-to-back silver sluggers. Um, You know, one of them was a shortened season, but I think it's time to put some respect on his name, uh, so to speak. And yeah, Teo, I I guess that he's not considered a strong uh, defensive outfielder. I think by, by a lot of metrics and even by the eye test, sometimes you can tell that. Um, but he's by all accounts, a different hitter than he was years ago. Like he's got the OBP up uh, he's hitting for a higher average and he's a guy that's going to just by nature of being a part of Toronto's lineup, whether that's, you know, in the cleanup spot where he was initially or in the five spot where he may end up uh, just, you know, by association, he's going to be chipping in a bunch of runs. He's going to either be, you know, scoring them or driving them in. And uh, I think he's worth more than, than just two wins above your average player. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think it's, he was a big question mark, I think in right field and when they asked him to play center field for a bit. And I think he's gotten himself to the point defensively where you, you don't really worry about him anymore, which I think is, is good. He's good enough, especially when you can have some other good defenders, the blue Jays, 
the way they're built right now, I don't think are ever going to be a truly extraordinary defensive team, but that doesn't really matter if you're going to score six runs a game. So if you can just have um, no worries at every single defensive position, I think we'll definitely take that. And especially when you're going to be an 870, maybe pushing 900 OPS guy like Teo. Um, I think that's kind of everything I noticed. Was there any other big takeaways you had from the projections? Yeah, I think the last guy we might want to check in on, and it's a guy that's been talked about a lot this this offseason because he didn't play much in, in 2021, and that's Kevin Biggio. Uh, he's projected, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe you can double-check this for me, but this is what I have is that he's also at uh, two wins above replacement. Um, yeah, so I guess you look at Biggio's track record in, in 2019, played 100 games, he was worth 2.4 wins above replacement. So that was... I don't know if it was rookie season. I can't remember, but um, that's, you know, a strong showing by all accounts by for a young player like him shortened 2020 season in 59 games. He was worth 1.3 war. So extrapolate that over a whole season, another good year. Um, 2021 was just not for like a lot of us out there. 2021 was not his year. Um, and the defensive metrics aren't very kind to him. Uh, but you know, he's, he's the guy with the, with the high walk rate and the low chase rate. Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of actually a spot on estimation maybe of how he, he could contribute. Um, I think again, it depends on playing time and health as usual, but you know, I really feel like we're going to see a, a full-time Kevin Biggio, you know, role this year. If it's at third base, if it's at second base, you know, if a guy goes down and they have Espinal or Kevin Smith guys to play the bench, you know, we could see him play full-time in left field or something like that. So he, it's another guy that stood out to me and, one of the uh, one of the bounce back candidates that that we've talked about um, at length in, in in some of our other discussions, but yeah, just that was just another guy that stood out to me. I don't know what your thoughts on BGO are. Yeah, I think he's you kind of you nailed it there. I think it, the interesting thing with him is he has such a high floor because if you're going to walk twelve percent of the time, like you're not going to be a bad baseball player. There's he would have to hit like a hundred to be a not valuable baseball player. And he had a really tough year last year, but he was still walked. And if that's all he does, it's a super valuable thing for this lineup, the left-handed bat, the defensive versatility and the walking. So I think his floor is so high that any kind of excess he can give would be a huge uh, kind of bonus. And I think that's kind of why he's going to be on this team because he brings a lot of different stuff and he's, a sure thing. He battled through a lot of injuries last year just to get in the lineup and to give the Blue Jays some health. They finally got healthy enough and had the prospects to call up to give him a rest for a couple of weeks. I really think that's what happened at the end of the year last year. It wasn't like he got more injured than he was. They just had Kevin Smith and, and Espinal was playing well enough that they just basically said, take a couple of weeks off, Kevin, go to AAA, get yourself good. Um, and then he, he never really got to play much after that, but I think he'll come into next season with high expectations. And I think we should uh, be, have an open mind with what Kevin Biggio can do this year. But uh, if you don't have anything else, I think we can wrap up this second episode of the inside the blue Jays podcast. I'll end it the exact same way I ended last episode where hopefully we don't know exactly when we're going to record the next episode, but hopefully when we're talking to you, there's a collective bargaining agreement and we are preparing for spring training.